Good morning again, Spring Meadows Presbyterian Church. This is Dave McGuire with another Sunday School lesson. Uh, we have reached the end of our series on presuppositional apologetics, and I hope that uh, over the course of all of this that you have learned something about um, how to share your faith and that you have become emboldened to step out and to talk to people about the life, work, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is a logical, reasonable hope that is founded in truth, ultimate truth, um, and that your worldview stands on something that they can't, logic and reason. Last week, we studied the doctrine of God. Today, finally, we're going to get into the doctrines of man and sin. But before we do, let's open with a word of prayer. Uh, Lord, please bless what we are doing here. Uh, please help us to understand and to see your scripture for what it is, the revelation of who we are, why we have come to where we are, and how we can come back to you. We thank you for this course of study uh, and we thank you for the preparation that it has done to help us to go out and spread the good news of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. We are uniquely made. We are set apart from creation and made in the image of God. We are not animals and we are not angels. We are set apart from those things. This partly explains why humans are without excuse when it comes to Romans 1. Their very purpose is to be in relation to God because we are made to reflect his image. To deny that, to suppress it, is to deny the very reason that we exist. It's to deny humanity itself, because humanity is reflective of the image of God. We're going to touch on a few points about man and sin, and we're really going to hone in on real, the, the theological basis of what we believe about ourselves and how we got to where we are. There is no reason for dignity in the uh, humanistic, which is uh, an, uh, kind of an oxymoron, because human, material humanists um, don't have any reason to be humane. There's a reason if we are simply highly evolved animals to, ha to have inherent value in one another. Uh, all of the violence and disease or calamity that exists in nature uh, is simply reflected then in humanity. Why in the world would we care about uh, rape or torture or murder um, if we are simply high-functioning animals? There must be inherent value in humanity for us to care about what happens to other humans. Um, 
that is the, the humanistic worldview really boils down to that. They have no reason to care about one another. They steal from us in order to do it because they do see inherent value in each human, but they have no reason for it. It's, uh, it boils down to absurdity to think that because uh, that other thing over there kind of looks like me and I kind of see that they don't like what's happening to them, that is a reason then to stop their suffering. Um, even less so to interject myself and take that suffering on for them. Uh, there are other worldviews, New Ageism, Hinduism, most of the Asian, Asian religions, where man is sort of um, divine and, and a spawn of the gods. Man finds his dignity in having that spark of divination within him. Uh, he's just as much a god as anything else. Um, the problem with this, of course, is that humans are by nature able to commit evil acts. If a, if a divine being does evil, what makes it evil, Farnham says. And considering the amount of evil in the world, what good does the divine do in the world? Uh, these questions cannot be answered in a meaningful way if everything is divine. If the divine sort of flows through us, why in the world is there evil in the world? We have a reason uh, to know why there's evil, to know why there's suffering. Um, but those other worldviews just don't. The biblical worldview does provide answers to these pressing questions. Why should we care about one another? And why is there evil in the world? First, man is created in the image of God. Man is special. Humans are special, a special creation, different from the animals, um, and in a sense, greater than the angels who do not bear God's image. Man is made as an image and therefore has intrinsic, inherent value and dignity apart from anything he does. The, the dignity is so basic such a, a basic thing about humanity that murder itself is a, is a direct strike against God, against his special creation. So therefore in scripture, God demands that the life of the murderer be taken, of course, by the proper authorities to demonstrate how evil that act is. The image of God is never really explicitly explained in scripture. Most theologians would agree that it pertains to rationality, a sense of right and wrong, and the implanted knowledge of God. That's the knowledge of God the, written on our hearts. The inherent qualities here demonstrate that God is personal. 
we are each persons and therefore have personalities and are personal. He is personal. He is a moral being who has revealed himself to all people such that everyone is without excuse. Our calling as human beings is to know God. And we do that, of course, in two ways. We know that know him through his general revelation. We look out into nature and we see that it must have been created by a um, creative and personal being. We know that uh, his law is written on our hearts and then also that through special revelation that God has opened up and shown us through Jesus Christ who he is and how we are supposed to make things right with him and how Christ then has lived, worked, died, and rose again in order to make things right with him. This feature of humanity, being made in God's image, is key to our identity, and it really helps us to understand our place in God's world. The image of God means that God is the original and we're a copy. God is the eternal I am, the real being, and we are a picture of that. We are finite. He is infinite. We're not to praise and worship then copies, images, pictures, even pictures that are walking and talking. We are meant to worship the reality, the real true being, that he is the I am. Um, second, man is different from God. We are not the same as God. There are world religions out there that have what's called a, a monistic worldview. That is that we are all one. There is one being and we participate in that being. Or it's not really that there's one being, but everything is being, really. And that we participate in that being, that state of being. But God is different from us. He is set apart. He's wholly other, the God of the Bible. And so when he relates to his creation, he relates to it apart from it. The, this is what's known in theology as the creator-creature distinction. God is infinite, holy, and divine. And by contrast, then, man is finite, and fallen and a creature, a creation of a creator. God has always been God. There's never a time when God was not God. He will always be God. There's never a time where he will not be God. And we will never be gods. So there was a time when we were not. We are created to be eternal, but we have a creation point and we there, therefore are, are finite and not ever able to then become God. We can't know God then unless God reveals himself to us. See, that's how like, when we start talking about how we know God, we can say, look, God is wholly other. 
well, how do you get to know him? He reveals himself to us. If there is a God who is infinite, but who is personal, isn't it possible that he can communicate to us in a way that he sees fit? That's what revelation is. All through the Bible, God lisps, as Calvin puts it, down to his creation to show and to tell us who he is and really to provide us with a path of how to be reconciled to him. In addition to his revelation, God providentially guides all things by his sovereign power. So these two things, revelation which is God talking to us about himself, and providence, which is God guiding all things, or how we as creatures know this triune God. Farnham says, In Genesis 1-2, we are told that the Holy Spirit was hovering over the waters as God was creating. In Genesis 3-8, God comes down to confront Adam and Eve, about eating the forbidden fruit. In Genesis 7:16, God closes the door of the ark himself. In Genesis 32, God wrestles with Jacob and gives him a new name. In Exodus 3, God comes down to see the suffering of his people before he leads them out of Egypt. Over and over again throughout the Bible, God comes down to his people, protecting them, speaking with them, and rescuing them. This culminates, is really finds its end point in the, the, in the incarnation of the second person of the Trinity, the eternal Son of God, adding a human nature to his eternal divine nature, what we referred to earlier as the hypostatic union, with the birth of Jesus. In this ultimate sense, God has come down. God has interceded into the chaos of humanity in order to reveal himself and reconcile us sinners to him. So that creator-creation distinction then reminds us that God is not like us. And his ways, like Pastor Tim said a few weeks ago, are not our ways. One of the distinctions of Christianity is that we don't make images of God because those who, in, those who make idols tend to worship those images rather than the creator behind the image. And in all of those cases, the creator behind the image is a person and is not God himself. Because God is so different from us, he forbids that we make idols. We make images that we look at and we think of him in. We don't want to contain him within a certain image, a man in a cloud or a golden calf. Because he has revealed himself to us in his word and through his son, we don't need those things. That is the way that he has chosen to reveal himself and any other way that we think uh, to innovate that revelation would be a sin. So we talked about a little bit about folks who say that, you know, if there is a God out there, we can't possibly know him. Those folks are called agnostics. Uh, 
So if that was true, if it, that would be true rather, if it weren't for the fact that God has revealed himself to us. This is why a few weeks ago we studied a, the doctrine of scripture because they, we have a foundation to stand on to say that this is the revealed word of God. Whereas they say, well, we can't really know God. And we say, well, how do you know that? So man was also designed to represent God on earth. This can be seen in Adam uh, being told to be a steward over creation and to name the animals and such. Adam and Eve were able to develop the natural resources on earth and, and really everything that we have in the mo modern world today from mass agriculture to iPhones is really um, standing on the foundation of the work that Adam and Eve started in the garden. Everything that we use to make those things uh, was already here on earth, in the ground, when Adam and Eve stood on it. So what we take out of the ground, we are creating in a secondary way. So we also need to recognize that man, because of sin, is fallen. In contrast to many other worldviews and religions, Christianity believes that man is fallen and his heart is corrupt. Since the fall into sin, every person is born with a depraved heart. There's therefore no coming back to God except by the internal calling, the effectual calling of the Holy Spirit. In the garden... Adam and Eve tried to do without God uh, in every respect, Farnham says, by rejecting God's specific commands regarding the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They wanted to have their own worldview. This kind of like wraps everything back around together. We really stand on where does our worldview come from? Does it come from within us or does it come from the creator of the world? Adam and Eve, in one moment in the garden, chose their own worldview over the creator God that they knew and walked with. So when we think about worldviews and we think about how far they are from reality, from absolute reality. We only need to think of that moment. We need to think of that moment where the two people on earth who knew God the best still decided that within their own hearts, they wanted to reject the worldview of the creator and to assume their own. Eve determined that it was good for food even though God had declared it to be spiritually and physically poisonous. If you eat it, you will die. The motivation for Eve's disobedience was not to simply try new food. She wanted to experience all the flavors of the garden. 
instead what she wanted to do was replace her human nature with a divine nature to transcend her limited perspective and have a limitless perspective because that's what the serpent promised her would happen in other words Eve wanted to escape being a creature and become like God. And really, when people form their own worldviews, that's what they're doing. They're saying that I have a unique perspective on the world and I don't share it with you. We don't share that unique perspective. Therefore, truth is my truth and truth is your truth rather than truth being an absolute truth. So they are transcending then a limited perspective and saying, I have a limitless perspective. When in reality, all they're doing is trying to substitute themselves for God. Many false religions are founded on this idea of you can become a God or you can share in the divine nature. Those promises are still out there. The promises that Eve took hold of in the garden that led us directly. And, and in a very real sense, and I don't want to uh, uh, mislead anybody, but in a, in a very real sense, we were all there in the garden when Adam and Eve fell. We all share in original sin and we are all sinful. And so I don't want to pin everything back on Adam and Eve in the garden, but it is a fair focal point. That promise that the serpent made in the garden is still available in Mormonism, still available in um, uh, religions that really talk about enlightenment and transcending above a limited perspective into a limitless perspective or experiencing the, the divine. Within Christianity, humans are always created, always finite, and always limited. They attempted to decide for themselves what is right and what is wrong, rather than listen to the law of the perfectly good God. And again, when you take on the task of creating your own worldview, then you have to decide for yourself what is right and what is wrong. But that is God's position as judge and not ours. That's another common aspect of non-Christian worldviews is that they reject God's law. They then establish their own. They have false ethical standards that lead to violence, abuse, anarchy on the name of whatever God or um, ideology that they're serving. The ultimate result of the fall is that all of our thinking and all of our thoughts about spirituality and all of our intellectual ideas are off. They operate incorrectly. Man's thinking is turned away from God. We rebel. We are ignorant deliberately. 
we can't be objective. Can't stand outside of creation and look in on it and say, this is how it operates. Because our sinful, evil heart turns away from the truth and the beauty and the goodness of God. And we seek to satisfy ourselves. So therefore, we can never truly be objective. We embrace lies. We embrace ugliness. We embrace evil. We love the darkness of our sin rather than the light of truth. Quoting Farnham's book, uh, Cornelius Van Til used two pictures to illustrate this truth. Imagine a woodworker who sets his table saw to exact measurements to cut boards at a right angle. He leaves the workshop for a few minutes to get the wood, and while he is gone, his 10-year-old son enters the room and changes the angle of the saw. Every board that the woodworker cuts after that will be wrong and will be damaged. In the same way, God created us holy and perfect, with our intellect, emotions, and will operating rightly. After the fall, these faculties are now damaged, and while they resemble the original design, they are damaged and do not function properly. Van Til's second illustration helps us to understand the unbeliever's bias against God and the truth. Imagine yellow-lensed goggles glued to the face of the unbeliever. Everything he sees now has a yellow hue. He cannot see colors correctly because of these goggles. Yet he insists he is wearing no goggles and sees colors correctly. In the same way, the fall has distorted man's intellectual understanding, and he cannot see truthfully until the Holy Spirit removes the goggles in salvation. It takes a complete regeneration, a new birth of our, our whole being, our whole soul, in order to correct the damage that has been done. And even then, we are left in an already and not yet state where we are still sinful and we are still able to make these errors. But we are at that point, after salvation, able not to sin. The Lord takes that spiritual tintedness and removes it from us as scales falling from our eyes. Having this understanding of God and of man and of scripture is a powerful preparation for apologetics. We don't want to defend concepts that we don't believe and we don't want to defend the concept of God. We want to defend the person of God. We want to defend the creation of God. We want to defend God as the creator and make that distinction between him and the creation. The more that we know about scripture and the more that we know about how scripture influences the way that we see God, the way that we see creation, the way they, that we see ourselves, the more weapons that we have in order to um, knock down the objections of those whose worldview is really wrapped up in themselves. We are able then to know what we believe and, and why we believe it and, and have a, a firm foundation for apologetics and evangelism because it gives us the ability to answer unbelief from really any direction 
if somebody is coming after, I believe that everyone is basically good. We can, we have a reason to say no. If somebody says, I believe that God loves everyone, regardless of what they do, we have a basis to say no. We see, we serve a God who is just. We serve a God who is right and who is holy and who is holy other. And that God does not look kindly upon sin and cannot just dismiss sin. So when we talk to a sinful person, we can help them to see that the world from their perspective is wrong and we have a reason to say, look, the way that you're looking at the world is wrong. The, way, the, the reason you think something is off about how we're living is because that's exactly right. The reason that we grieve when people die is because that's not natural. Let me help you see the power that is contained in the life, the work, the death and the resurrection of the second Adam, our only true path back to a right relationship with God and really the only thing that is going to set creation back on course. Let that be your prayer, Christian, that you are given opportunities to talk with unbelievers and that the Holy Spirit would open their hearts. Thank you.